So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, title of our sermon is Calling All Sinners. So I think that includes all of us that are sitting in this room, so we, we all fall into that category, don't we? As we look at the, the gospel of Mark, um, and if we believe that it was written by John Mark, who later on uh, we know that is, is mentioned by uh, traveling with Paul, one of the reasons that I, I like the gospel of Mark, if we believe that it was written by that John Mark, uh, we, we know that uh, he wasn't really a stellar Christian, was he? He actually came to a point where Paul actually said, I, you know, I don't want to take Mark with me uh, because of what he had done. And it's a good reminder for us, especially in the text that we're looking at today. Uh, Mark places an emphasis on uh, the mission of Jesus, the, the humanity of Jesus. And, and one commentator says that Mark was written in such an appealing way, presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ so simply that even a child could understand it. I think we definitely see that aspect in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. One of the reasons I really, really like Mark is he gets to the point. And that's me, right? I, I just, I don't beat around the bush. I like to just head straight forward, and that's exactly what uh, Mark gets to. And if Mark was written to the church as it faced persecution and hostility to their faith and as guidance for how they are to live in a world that is anti-Christianity, then this passage that we're going to look at carries some significant weight with regards to this practical Christianity. And if we find such guidance in it, in the pattern of of life that we see in Jesus Christ and the importance of his mission, then here, in this passage, all the more. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. World-renowned Harvard University was founded in 1636. It originally only employed Christian professors. Their focus was on fulfilling the stated mission of instructing students to know God and to know Jesus Christ. But today, as many of you know, This school has absolutely no ties to its Christian roots. Howard Pugh and his family were strong Christians. They made a lot of money in the oil business. When they desired to be generous with their wealth, they set up a foundation. Many might have heard of it, the Pugh Charitable Trust, and Howard Pugh wanted all those donations to be made to organizations such as the Billy Graham Evangelical Ministry. However, after the founder had died, uh, this charitable foundation drifted significantly, funding organizations that Pew and his family would have never approved of, such as Planned Parenthood and many Ivy League schools, maybe like Harvard. George Williams started the Young Man's Christian Association, YMCA, as a Bible study for displaced men in London, England. The core of the group was centered on learning about Jesus Christ. Eventually, training and even commissioning over 20,000 missionaries. I didn't know that about the YMCA. However, as the organization grew and expanded to other countries, 
the focus became all about health and fitness as we know it today, with absolutely no reference to Jesus Christ. In 2010, they actually dropped three of its four letters to simply become the Y, removing any ties to its Christian roots. Why am I sharing this with you? Each of these organizations started out with a certain intention, didn't they? With a certain mission. That mission was all about Jesus Christ, but they drifted significantly from it. Do you think it happens overnight? Absolutely not. Do you think that it can happen to churches? Thinking it can happen to us as individuals? That we can drift from our mission? You know, over the past few years, uh, the pandemic and everything that we have gone through has revealed many things about the church, hasn't it? Some good, but some not so good. I think this is one of them. I think that we have to be careful. We have to continually check our compass because we may wake up one morning finding ourselves significantly far away from where we were headed in the first place. What was at the heart of Jesus' ministry? That's what we're going to see here today. We're going to look at three insights into this passage. The first insight in the heart of Jesus' ministry is his practice. What was Jesus' practice? His practice was befriending sinners. Verses 13 through 15, Matthew chapter 2. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. How many people remember this guy? I'm probably dating myself. Time to make the donuts, right? Do you remember that commercial? Time to make the donuts. Uh, This gives me PTSD because when this commercial came on, I was typically waiting for the school bus. And time to make the donuts meant time to go to school for me. And we had to walk miles to my bus stop. So it was much more different than it was today. Hard and treacherous life that we lived. But there's a commercial that this guy is in. And he's in his uniform, and he's coming and going from his house, coming and going. He goes in the wind. He goes in the rain. uh, He goes in the snow. He goes in the sun. He goes in all sorts of weather, and he's just coming and going. And as he's coming and going, he's saying, time to make the donuts, time to make the donuts, time to make the donuts. And he's doing it so, so much that he actually runs into himself, and he says, I've already made the donuts, and he goes back to bed. One of my favorite commercials, used to love that commercial. What was this guy all about? What can we tell about this man's priorities through his life? What was he about? Tell me. 
Donuts, yes, very, very good. Maybe you guys can get some donuts in the back for that great, great answer. But he was all about donuts, and we can, we can tell about someone's priorities in life by what they do, by the people they hang around with, by their intentions, by their practices. If you were to follow me around on a weekly basis, you would know that I would come into the office on a Monday morning. Uh, Monday morning, I have to do my sermon outline. I go, in, I go into a big stress if I don't get my sermon outline done by, by the end of Monday. Monday night, usually back here with youth group, and then come back in on Tuesday. Tuesday, I have to do my sermon illustrations, and then sometimes Tuesday night, come back for prayer group. Wednesday, I fill in all the meat of my text. Thursday, I practice my sermon, have a staff meeting, and try to meet with people from the church. What's my, what's my main focus is preaching, isn't it? So you get to see all the, the, the time that I put into preaching. What can we tell by the life of Jesus? What was his priority? Sinners. Connecting and befriending sinners. We see in the beginning of this passage that Jesus is starting out and he is constantly engaging people. He's walking along the seashore with the multitudes of people and he's teaching them. Now, what is interesting about this passage, it doesn't really get into what he is actually teaching them, but we can know from uh, previous passages that uh, he begins in Mark 1 by saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And he's also saying to his disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So, The gospel, repenting and believing, and discipleship, isn't he? Isn't that what he's doing? So we can we can be pretty sure that as he's walking along the seashore, that that is those similar things are probably coming out of his teaching, and he is teaching these individuals. But I want you to see something. Mark kind of zeroes in on a certain group of individuals, doesn't he? And he begins with the call of one individual, Matthew. So why is this significant here in this passage? Why, why should this make us kind of so we're not in that culture, so we wouldn't understand? But Jesus calling a tax collector, I can imagine that even his disciples were like, wait, wait a second, this is not a good move for your ministry right now, because tax collectors were a hated group of individuals. They were the, the sinners of monks, of all sinners, because... They were working for the occupying empire. They were Jews working for the occupying empire. It's like akin to treason. So, and the Romans really didn't care for them too much because they were Jews, but the Jews hated them. And they were also skimming off the top, so they were wealthy and they were getting profitable from it. Now, Jesus doesn't call him along just so he can... can, Uh, tell us that he has this very diverse group of individuals and he met the diversity quota, right? He's not doing that because especially with what happens next. What happens next? Who does Jesus have a meal with? All of Matthew's friends, right? And another group comes out of this, so not only tax collectors but sinners, Now we're getting to the heart of Jesus' ministry. He's eating and drinking 
And as a matter of fact, it's very possible that Jesus is the one who hosted this event. He's eating and drinking with people in this society that are absolute outcasts, that are despised. And we see that because of the reaction next. The sinners are the ones who at its base level just fail to conform to God's standards. Do you guys know any of those people? <laughs> okay, that's, that's all of us. Do, do we agree? Okay, let me ask that again. Do we agree? Yes, okay. Do we know sinners in this world? Yes, okay. Is this world full of sinners? Yes, okay, good. We're all on the same page. Everyone is, is wide, wide awake. But I want to I argue that, do you think, so definitely Jesus is hanging out with these individuals and this, this meal is a sign of fellowship. It's a sign of welcoming. It's a sign of friendship. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, he's not agreeing with their sin because we know that he was teaching repent and believe in the gospel, but he is teaching something else. He is teaching them about God's grace. By his very actions, by engaging with people like this. Now, if anyone could have said to these individuals, could have called them out on their sin and could have judged them harshly, who was it? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? But there he is. He's sharing a meal with them. He welcomes them in. Have you ever said to yourself when you met someone that they would make a good Christian? I have. What are we basing that off of? Their behavior, aren't we? Do you know who makes us good Christians? Jesus Christ. This is grace. He is welcoming them into his fellowship. He is welcoming them into God's kingdom. Repent and believe. If you are sitting here today, I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how heinous your sins are. Jesus Christ on the basis of what we celebrated today, his death, burial, and resurrection will forgive you of those sins. They are forgotten for all eternity. That's the gospel message. What we are seeing Jesus do is the gospel message played out. It's a welcoming to his table. It's a welcoming to his fellowship. And the people who are welcomed are people just like you and me. Sinners. We're wrecks. We're a mess. And that sin continues in us, doesn't it? I'm just as much, uh, I shouldn't say as much of a wreck when I'm before that, but, but we continue to sin and I, I need his grace just as much as I did years ago. We all need that. But I also want us to see that if, if, if this is Jesus' practice and if his goal with his disciples, which you and me are, right? If his goal was to make fishers of men, is this our practice? Is, 
are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we going out? And I, I'm asking myself the, the, the same question. I wa- I've been watching a show. It's called Undercover Boss. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. If you want to ball your eyes out at the end of every episode, just watch that show because it is just emotionally... I, I just cry all the time because of the kindness of these guys. But uh, one episode stood out to me uh, where the undercover boss goes undercover to... And he's with their, these employees, and he learns about their lives. And he's learning about just all the, the big messes that they are in. Two of the employees invite this undercover boss on separate occasions back to their home. They just met this guy. They invite him back to their home, and they share a meal with him. And as they're sharing a meal with him, they share their life with him. And I remember thinking about this message, and I'm thinking, these people are probably unbelievers, and they're doing the very thing that I should be doing. Welcoming individuals into my fellowship, into Christ's fellowship, really, and preaching the gospel, not only in my words, but in my actions. How are we doing with this? What does our practice say about our love for people? Do they experience that love through our interactions with them? Are we teaching people about God's gospel through the way that we welcome them, through the way that we love them, through the way that we have compassion on them? Or are we depending on cold and sterile programs Second insight that we see here is the protest. Why did the religious people get upset with him? Because he was welcoming sinners. So they protested his welcoming of the sinners. When the scribes, verse 16, when the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, uh, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? So, the scribes of the Pharisees, if we had to break these guys down and kind of, they are the lawyers. These guys know God's law. And their job was to make sure that people got it right. So, they were like the policemen of of God's law. And there's an interesting verse in in Matthew 23, and it says, Jesus is is, is actually condemning, cursing the, the the Pharisees said, what are you teachers of the law and, and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You actually shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter in who are trying to. This is a summary of their ministry. Is that a good ministry? <laughs> no, so they're, they're shutting the door. If there's the kingdom, right, they're like, okay, this is locked, I'm not in it, and guess what? You're not coming into an ear. How are they shutting the door? Because their righteousness, their salvation was a works-centered righteousness. It's based on the law. Jesus is saying there's no way. 
The point of the law is to point to the fact that you and I need God's grace. We need Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. They wanted the kingdom of God to come then and there on earth through works and through their own righteousness. They wanted an earthly kingdom. And they were the cops in that kingdom. There's an interesting statistic out. And I'm going to read you a prayer from a pastor, and then I'm going to talk about the statistic, and we're going to see if we can put those two together. This is part of a prayer from a pastor. He says, but we just thank you, God, that we can lock shields together, that we can come shoulder to shoulder with people that still stand up for this nation still love the rights and freedoms that we have caused, Lord. We've got to recognize the fact that if we don't have convictions, Lord, worth dying for, we don't even know what living really is. So God, help us to live, and God, help us to fight. And if need be, to lay down our lives for this nation. And we thank you for those who have done just that. This same church popular church, hosted a book burning just a few days earlier. Let me ask you something. What was Jesus' reputation? His reputation was one of being a friend of who? Sinners. His reputation was one, this is why these guys are upset with him, because he's representing God and they're saying there's no way. There's no way these people can come into God's kingdom because they are the ones who are breaking the law. What's Christian's reputation right now? Do we have a reputation of the Pharisees? Or do we have the reputation of Jesus Christ? Because there's a statistic out. It was uh, highlights, and this was prior, probably prior to this illustration, but I think it gives credence to it. Barna Research uh, did an extensive study study for those born between 1965 and 2002, included our two statistics that show how those outside the church view those within. Nearly 9 out of 10 young outsiders, 87%, 87%, when asked about how they view the church, they said and used the word judgmental. 84% surveyed said they personally know at least one Christian, yet 15% thought that their lifestyles were significantly different from the world. Now, I understand. I understand that some of these individuals being interviewed might have a weird understanding of judgmentalism. I understand that. However, 87%, there has to be some truth to that. Why is it? And I think this is the reason. I think that we're forgetting. We're forgetting our own need for grace. We're forgetting that, man alive, I would not be standing here today if Jesus Christ didn't sit down and have a meal with me. 
and we're labeling just like they did. I label all the time. I expect non-Christians to act like Christians. I do it all the time. How many else do it? Come on. You know, I'm the only one. You get behind these people and you're like, driving? I mean, driving's a perfect example. A Pharisee patrolman in the car. I will pull you over. I will tell you everything that you did wrong. And then I'll, I'll throw away the key. I'll put you in prison and throw away. That's what I want to do. Why am I expecting that, right? We should expect them to act that way. I mean, man, we still act that way and we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? These guys... The ones that are supposed to be preaching God, who are supposed to be bringing people into the kingdom, are actually shutting the door to the kingdom. Did Jesus condemn sin? Yes. But did he live? And did he teach God's grace for that sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. He did that in his very actions. In actions that led him to what we celebrated today. Sinners are going to act like sinners. We're not about establishing a kingdom here on earth. We're about establishing God's kingdom in heaven. And that kingdom of heaven is full of people like this. Full of people that just need his grace, his love, and his forgiveness. I wonder how folks look at us. I wonder what our reputation is. What are they protesting us against? Because we're acting like Jesus? Well, that's good then. Or because we're acting like the Pharisees. This is one, conf- one of the conflicts that Jesus had with the religious leaders of the, his day that will eventually, eventually culminate in his death. They could not have him going around teaching about God and interacting with people like this. Sinners are who Jesus was willing to lay down his life for. Like that pastor said, yes, there are things we need to lay down our life for. I'll tell you what, the gospel is one of them. Isn't it? You know who Jesus was willing to lay down his life for? For you and me. Wretches. Sinners. We need to be reminded of that. Jesus was known for this. It caused conflict in his ministry because this was his purpose. These guys who were protesting him were full of pride. They were the ones who thought they what? They don't need God's grace. We're good to go. We're following all the laws. We got this down to a T, right? And we can't get like that, can we? And then we begin to do what? Label people. 
just like they did. Brings us to our third and final insight, which is his purpose, was to do what? To call sinners. Jesus hears them talking, and he says to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus gives us here his, his mission statement, his whole purpose, and, it, and where does it appear in the Gospel of Mark? The very beginning, doesn't it? The very beginning, right after Jesus heals the paralytic, and the paralytic healing was an interesting healing because they bring him, and all of a sudden all the people think that they're going to get a miracle and he's going to start walking, but what does Jesus say to the paralytic? I forgive you. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. And now we begin to see what Jesus' mission is all about. What's his mission all about? Forgiveness. This is his purpose. Why, why is he eating and drinking with sinners? Because they're the ones who are sick, right? They're the ones who, who need the doctor. I, I needed a doctor the other week. I feel like I still kind of need a doctor for other reasons. You're like, yeah, for your head, right? You're thinking other reasons. All right different doctor. I needed a doctor for my physical wellness because I have this weird cough. It's just not going away. I know, sympathy. Feel free to send cards and gifts. Hot tea. And I, you know, can you imagine me going to the doctor and them just telling me to heal myself? Them just being like, oh, you're fine. Stop complaining. You know, I, what am I expecting from the doctor? Compassion, right? <laughs> I hope, I hope, you know, I, you know, so I, I, t- told my, I told my worries, I think, do I have pneumonia? You don't have pneumonia. Bronchitis, it's got to be bronchitis. No, you don't have bronchitis. And can you imagine them laughing at me? <laughs> Just see, here's a cough. I know. <coughs> it's coming up because I'm talking about it. And can you imagine me going and them treating me like these Pharisees treated these individuals? Jesus has compassion on them because they're the ones who are sick. Granted, we live in a culture that doesn't realize that. So there has to be ways where we got to interact with those individuals to kind of let them know that, yeah, you, you do need a doctor, believe it or not. You may not think you need a doctor, but you do need a doctor. The Pharisees are the ones, the scribes are, are the ones who think, I don't need a doctor. So Jesus says, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the ones who, who know they need the doctor. It's his whole entire purpose. He says, this is why I came. I came to call sinners. I came to start this revolution of sinners, this group of sinners that I am going to lay down my life for. I don't know if you have heard of this guy. His name is uh, Matt Emmons. <coughs> He's a USA Olympic rifle shooter. Matt Emmons, uh, in the 2004 Olympics, had the gold medal in sight. He was just one shot away from claiming victory in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. His final shot merely needed to be on the target. 
Normally, the shot that he made would have received a score of 8.1, more than enough for the gold medal. But in what was described as an extremely rare mistake in an elite competition, Emmons fired his gun at the wrong target. Uh, Standing in lane two, he fired at the target in lane three. Good score at lane three, wrong target. Instead of a medal, Emmons ended up in eighth place. It does not matter. It does not matter how accurate we are if you and I are aiming at the wrong target. Who was Jesus' target? Sinners. This was his entire purpose. He's come to save sinners and to, to disciple sinners and to heal sinners and to fill his kingdom with sinners who have been saved by his grace. Let me ask you something. Is this a target in your personal life? As a Christian, have you made this your a purpose? And if not, why? And do we believe that this is a target in our church? Because it needs to be. Because this is Jesus' purpose. And as Mark is writing this, possibly to those who are suffering in, uh, for their faith, what can happen when, we, when the world is hostile to our faith? We can do what? Close in, can't we? He's, he's reminding his readers of something. Hey, those guys who are hostile to you, those, those sinners, those ones who don't understand God's righteousness, those people who don't understand the Bible, those people who don't understand what's happening, those are the ones that Jesus came to save. Those people are your mission. They're your mission. Yes, our job is to come in and to encourage one another and to build each other up and to, and to fuel each other and to love each other and to care for one another, but our job also is to go out there and love those sinners just like Jesus loved us. It should be on all of our radars and to love them in the way that he has loved us with compassion and with grace. Yes, do we talk about sin? Absolutely. Do we call for repentance? Absolutely. But we do so the way that Jesus did. Showing that love. Bringing them that grace. Yeah, we might be hitting the target but it may be the wrong one. And I'll tell you what, there's more than a gold medal at stake. Jesus wasn't eating with them because he was hungry. 
They're the ones who needed the food. And Jesus was about to give his, his body as that spiritual food to bring these individuals into his kingdom. And we know that it was effective because Mark tells us that he was eating with many of them. So there's a slew of them, isn't there? And they were doing what? Following him. They were following him. why we're here. We're here, number one, because <laughs> Jesus did this with us. He called us, called us to his fellowship, called us through his grace. But we're here to continue on that mission, to call sinners to Jesus Christ, to love them, to build relationships with them, and to teach others to do the same, to be known by others the same way Jesus was known. In his book, the Gospel According to Jesus, Cursey mentions a profound lesson he learned from his father about loving the bad people. He says, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, so we used to get outfield deck seats, the, the nosebleeds, right? The cheap seats, we're all familiar with those seats, to see the baseball games at the Houston Astrodome. Most of the people buying the cheap seats did so to save money for what? Beer. Lots and lots of beer, and especially now, the, the, the beers and drinks or whatever at a baseball game, you have to take out a loan, I think, to go to those places. After, a few, first, after the first few innings, most of those individuals in those seats were absolutely three sheets to the wind. They were drunk. By the time the seventh inning stretched, stretched rolled around, there would be beer mixed with peanuts and then a brawl or two, a few rows over. So there's fights breaking out. And this kid remembers, he says, it was, it, this guy remembers, it was absolutely ugly out there. And he says, as a kid, I learned from a lot of people that were sitting with the bad people. There was one consistent drunk fan. That's good. He's, at least he's consistently, I guess, right? His name was Batty Bob. Batty Bob was his name. He was a self-proclaimed Houston Astros mascot. He would come to the games wearing a rainbow wig, and he would lead slurred cheers in the stands. He says, I remember one time my dad went out to sit and talk with Batty Bob. He spent the whole game with Bob. And then he walked him out to the parking lot, and then he brought him home with us. I was more than confused. This guy was one of the bad people. When I got home, my father explained to me, God loved Batty Bob. I remember thinking, really? Batty Bob? He ended up staying with them for a few days to get back on his feet. This is when... I started to realize that God did not despise these people. He dearly loved them. Folks, extending grace to sinners is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. Jesus loves the batty bobs, every single one of them. The question is, 
do we? Do we? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for you came and you sought us when we were drunk with the things of this world. You brought us to your home. Get us back on our feet again. What a love. What a love you have for us. What a love that continues to sustain us even in our darkest times. Times when we mess up. Times when we fall short again and again and again. But your grace is forever. And your grace forgives all of those sins. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for the times that I did not treat people like this. And did not extend your grace or your love, but acted more like those Pharisees, labeling them, keeping them from God's kingdom. Help us, Lord, to live this truth out in everything we do. Help us to be extensions of your grace to sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen.